0: This is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Uh, Right off the bat, we have to have a quick trigger warning. Uh, Today's episode is about sexual harassment, sex crimes, and Me Too. So if that is a tough subject for you, just know that that is what today's episode is all about. So we've done... Quite a few episodes kind of breaking down different aspects of Me Too, Um, the movement in general, Time's Up, the Hollywood-led legal defense fund that came after, um, some various industries that have been sort of Me Too'd on their own. And we realized that one of the things that we hadn't really unpacked in a longer episode was the men of the Me Too movement, the men who are speaking up, the men who are saying, yes, I was a victim of a sex crime by a powerful person and I stayed quiet about it and now I'm speaking up.
1: Yes, because obviously of course sexual harassment happens to men as well and we have a few examples that were kind of kind of dominated the news for a while. One is Brendan Fraser. In February he went public with an allegation that Philip Burke, a one-time president of the powerful Hollywood Foreign Press Association, groped his buttocks and put his finger in his taint in 2003 in a crowded area of the Beverly Hills Hotel in public view. The violation had Fraser overcome with panic and fear. Burke gladly related the episode in his memoir, leaving out the finger part and characterizing the ass grab as a playful pinch. The HFPA promised to investigate Fraser's claims. Three months later, they showed him their proposed follow-up statement. Quote, "...although it was concluded that Mr. Burke inappropriately touched Mr. Fraser, the evidence supports that it was intended to be taken as a joke and not as a sexual advance."
0: So basically, it happened. He definitely grabbed your butt, no doubt about it. But it wasn't sexual harassment.
1: Yeah. It I was mean, a joke. Yeah, it was just a joke. You're, you're taking things too seriously.
0: Yeah, something that, I, that we'll get into later in the episode is how sexual harassment against men is so often framed as a joke. And so something that is not serious or that you shouldn't be upset about because it was meant as a joke. And also that reminds me of the fact that George Herbert Walker Bush was pinching girls' bottoms and then... Instead of saying, no, I never did that, or denying it, his camp said, yes, he did that, but it was joking. It was a joke. Not a very good joke, if you ask me. No, not not funny at all. Not very funny. I'm sure they
1: weren't laughing.
0: Another one, Anthony Rapp, who was an actor on Star Trek Discovery, told BuzzFeed in October of 2017 that actor Kevin Spacey made a sexual advance on him when he was 14. He said this happened during a visit to the then 26-year-old Spacey's apartment. Spacey placed Rapp on his bed and climbed on top of him.
1: Another is James Vanderbeek. He tweeted that he had his quote, ass grabbed by older, powerful men. I've had them corner me in inappropriate sexual conversations when I was much younger. I understand the unwarranted shame, powerlessness, and inability to blow the whistle. There's a power dynamic that feels impossible to overcome.
0: Yeah. Again, it's a good reminder that it's about power dynamics and it can kind of happen to anybody. Alexander Polinsky, who used to be on Charles in Charge with actor Scott Bayo, who I have to add is just a general scumbag, well, he accused Scott Bayo of sexual harassment and abuse. In a February 14th press conference with his lawyer, Lisa Bloom, Polinsky detailed alleged misconduct by Bayo when they worked together on the comedy from 1987 to 1990. At the time, Alexander was like 11 or 12, and, you know, Bayo was an adult. He alleges that Bayo would use homophobic slurs and once pulled down his pants on set, he also alleged that Bayo cut a hole in his dressing room and exposed his genitals to Blinsky. I should also point out that their former Charles in Charge co-star, Nicole Eggert, also detailed allegations against Scott Bayo.
1: Yeah, that's just creepy.
0: Yeah, it's bad. And especially, I could see it being especially scary and awful if you were just an 11-year-old kid on a Hollywood set with an adult at the time. Now he's like completely washed up, Scott Bayo, but... At the time, like a huge actor, you know, in the 80s, you watched Joni Loves Chachi, Happy Days, any of those shows. Like he was a household name. Now he's a nobody and, you know, is pathetic and washed up. But I can only imagine how scary that would be if you were 11 and this big mega star was calling you homophobic slurs and pulling down your pants.
1: Yeah. So those are just a few examples. Um, men can be victims and are victims of sexual abuse, too. So here's some background on that. According to the National Alliance to End Sexual Violence, about 14% of reported rapes involve men or boys, and 1 in 6 reported sexual assaults is against a boy, and 1 in 25 reported sexual assaults is against a man. As with male sexual violence against women, sexual violence against men is motivated by the desire to dominate and use sex as a weapon against the victim. The majority of the perpetrators of sexual violence against men are white, heterosexual men.
0: As you probably know, male rape is also really common in prison and in the military. The latest Pentagon survey found that 6,300 men in the military said they were victims of sexual assault or other unwanted sexual contact in 2016. This is something that I think I've talked about on the show before, but— One of my biggest pet peeves is when we make a joke out of men being raped in prison. Even against people who I don't agree with or I don't like, you know, when they're going to jail, people are like, oh, you know, don't drop the soap. I don't think that's funny. I don't think the fact that our prisons are so messed up that so many people are being sexually assaulted. People all along the gender spectrum in prison are really at risk for sexual assault, and sexual harassment. I don't think that's funny. I think that's a real problem. And I hate that we've made it into a joke. And I also hate that I see that joke from people that I respect on the left when we talk about, like, our political foes who we don't agree with or we, we really don't like politically. It seems like some of them might be heading to prison. And I don't think that's a funny... As much as I don't like these people, like, I'm not going to say that Paul Manafort deserves to be raped in jail. That's no, not funny. No, no. And... As a survivor of sexual violence, it kind of breaks my heart a little each time someone hurls that as a joke or that we're supposed to be, you know, like, woohoo. If that actually happened to Paul Manafort in prison, it would be awful. Like, I don't think any I don't think anyone deserves that. I don't think it's funny. And I wish that our our movies didn't use it as jokes. And I wish that, I just wish that was something that we removed from our lexicon, unless we were dealing with it with the seriousness that it deserves.
1: I agree. And I know that um, John Oliver did a piece on on um, prison, and he had, like, a—there was a clip, a montage they put together of, like, all of the jokes about men getting raped in prison. And one—I mean, they were, like, cartoons. They were, like, for kids that this joke we're telling is in there. I mean, obviously, hopefully the kids aren't going to get it, but the fact that it's in there at all, it's not funny.
0: It's not funny. And, yeah— I just wish that we lived in a culture—I think it's all—I mean, I'm I'm going off the rails already on this one, but I think it's related to a larger cultural attitude around sexual violence. I think that we don't treat it with the seriousness that it deserves. I mean, we had lighthearted comedies, like family comedies, where rape was a plot device. Like the movie Revenge of the Nerds, the funny plot point is that he's going to rape that girl, and it's supposed to be lighthearted, not a crime, and so I think it illustrates a larger cultural attitude around how we understand rape. And I think that rape and sexual violence is so common, is so prevalent, is such is such a thing that we're grappling with that our culture is so broken that the only way we can make sense of it is by making fun of it and making it into an everyday joke, by literally making it quote unquote not that bad. Like, oh, it's funny. He's gonna rape her. LOL. You know. I think that's. The, I think that. It's a problem that has gotten so out of hand and is so entrenched in our culture that we've sort of thrown up our hands and said, we'll make it part of the culture and it will be, you know, not something that we Because de- if we were dealing with with rape and sexual violence with the gravitas that it deserves as a serious thing, we'd be doing it all the time. And I think I think that's where things like rape jokes come from is that we—it's so entrenched in our culture that the only way that we know how to deal with it at this point is by adding it to the acceptable part of culture.
1: yeah. And I think in this case, there's also a lot of homophobia involved. Definitely. Yeah. Joan Cook, a psychiatry professor at Yale School of Medicine, has been um, treating sexually abused men for more than 20 years. And she said, many of them still espouse this John Wayne mentality. If something bad happens to you, just wall it off and don't acknowledge it to yourself or others.
0: I think that when you look at the examples that we just talked about and the examples that we're going to talk about going forward, it becomes crystal clear why these men don't feel comfortable to talk about what's happening to them or what happened to them, why they feel like they need to just walk it off, be be strong and silent, because our culture says that strong men, they're not victims of sexual violence. It, our culture says that strong women aren't, aren't victims of sexual violence. Our culture says that if you are a victim of sexual violence, something is wrong with you. And in reality, something is wrong with the perpetrator, not the survivor. And... I think that men, because of our culture, I mean, this is one of those examples where patriarchy hurts us all, men and women. Because of our culture, because of patriarchy, men who are victims of very serious sex crimes don't even feel like they can speak up about it.
1: Yeah, which is a terrible, a terrible situation to be in. New York-based psychoanalyst Richard Garter, a co-founder of Male Survivor, says there's increased public awareness of the childhood sexual abuse of males as a result of the extensive publicity given to scandals within the Roman Catholic Church and at Penn State University, where Jerry Sandusky was an assistant football coach before being convicted in 2012 of sexual abuse of 10 boys. Given the reluctance of many male survivors to speak publicly about the abuse, Gartner says it's helpful when prominent men, including actors, music stars, and pro-athletes, do make that decision, that very difficult decision, which is why we're we're talking about Terry Crews today.
0: Yeah. When you think about the Jerry Sandusky stuff and the, you know, Catholic Church, you hear so much about the perpetrator, but then you don't really hear from the victims in a lot of cases, which, again, I can understand why people wouldn't be— clamoring to come forward. But when someone who is famous or powerful or successful or whatever has a platform does come forward, that can really can really do some good. So let's take a quick break and get, we'll get into the Terry Crews situation after this quick break. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So you might know Terry Crews from a couple things. Uh, he is delightful on the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I think just got canceled. No, it did, but then it got picked up. Okay, it's so good. I'm so behind, but it's so good. <laughs> um, he's also in those Old Spice commercials. I'm sure you've seen those. They're pretty good as well. Crews says that he was groped at a party back in February 2016 by Adam Venant, who was the head of the motion picture department at William Morris Endeavor. And WME is... One of the biggest, if not the biggest, talent agencies in the world. There are like three major talent agencies in the world, and it's one of them. So this is a massively powerful, well-connected person in Hollywood circles. He represents such stars like Adam Sandler, using the word star a little loosely there, but (laughs) fine, Eddie Murphy, Sylvester Stallone, Liam Hemsworth, and Steve Martin. So big names for the most part, hugely, hugely well-connected. On October 10th, 2017, Watching all of these women come forward with abuse allegations with Harvey Weinstein, Cruz tweeted, This whole thing with Harvey Weinstein is giving me PTSD. Why? Because this kind of thing happened to me. My wife and I were at a Hollywood function last year, and a high-level Hollywood executive came over to me and groped my privates. Jumping back, I said, What are you doing? My wife saw everything and looked at him like he was crazy. He just grinned like a jerk. I was going to kick his ass right then, but then I thought twice about how the whole thing would appear. So basically, you know, he saw all of these people coming forward and thought, I need to come forward too, which honestly, applause. Like, I think it really speaks to his character that he was so inspired by these women coming forward that he thought, I need to lend my voice to this as well. He describes this decision as kind of an impulse one. Like, it wasn't something that he ran by his manager or his publicist. He just decided to tweet. He says, once I hit send, I literally felt this weight come off of me. I went back to work, I turned my phone off, and when I came back to my phone, the world had changed. He told Time that in a matter of hours, it had become a number one trending topic on Twitter. And he also had a realization. I didn't check in with my wife or my publicist or with anybody. I just did it. But in that moment, I was free.
1: Yeah, I, re- I remember that. I remember seeing it. I'm not on Twitter very often, so it must have been, like,
0: everywhere. <laughs> if it, if it got on your radar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah it really must have been. Not everyone was happy about it. Russell Simmons, who's also allegedly a rapist because they stick together, allegedly emailed Cruz telling him that he should, quote, give Vinet a pass. Um, and Cruz called that behavior out on Twitter saying, Dear Uncle Rush, no one gets a pass.
0: Ugh. We could do a whole episode, and should, on Russell Simmons. I personally hate him for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I hate him the most is because Actually, it's not even the most. I hate him for lots of reasons, and they're all number one in my heart. You can even see it in the email that he sent to Terry Cruz. I feel like he uses his marketing and branding as this woke guy who does yoga and wears beaded necklaces, and he uses that to be a toxic, abusive abuser. And in the email—so when Cruz tweeted this, he tweeted a, like a screenshot of the email that Russell Simmons— Sent him, like, I mean, allegedly, because who knows, it could be doctored. We have to say that for, you know, legal reasons, whatever. But the email looks like it's from him. It's clearly sort of immersed in Russell Simmons's bogus faux, I meditate, therefore I am I'm better than people kind of vibe. And it's very clear to me that he uses that vibe as a way of being like a toxic person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in the email, it's like, well, who asked you? Like, why are you acting as the mediator between me and somebody that I say? groped me at a party. I can talk about it if I want to talk about it. Who, who the hell are you? I think that he is sort of seen, at least by himself, he sees himself as this person with this status in society to be, you know, mindful. So in the email that Terry Crews posted on Twitter, Russell Simmons writes, did he ever apologize? Give the agent a pass. Ask that he be reinstated. With great love, all things are possible. Give me a f- break, Russell Simmons. Go f- yourself. First of all, if I got this email, I would be with boiling rage. So one, ask that the person that you say sexually abused you, that groped you in public at a party, ask that he be reinstated. Are you kidding me? Second of all, that ending yeah. with great love, all things are possible, go f- yourself, and I hate you. <laughs> like how dare he? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Not not to make this a Russell Simmons podcast, but <laughs> clearly. I mean I just I feel like I have watched for many years this bogus faux I'm wearing a linen shirt and I've got prayer beads on. You know, I meditate and I'm vegan. I feel like he uses this, like, I just hate this sandals wearing my That's really what it comes down to. I've hated him for a long time. I've silently thought he was not a good person. And I just, something about, something about anybody who seems to come off as holier than now. I, I always think, they're hiding something or they're using this as a way to have people not call them out. And his own growing list of abusers who say that he raped them publicly say this, like come out on TV and say, yeah, he raped me, who I 100% believe, by the way. One, that's like very clear to me, like, oh, you're a toxic person. Two, seeing someone like Terry Crews, like it's not easy to be anyone who comes out against sexual violence, but especially a man, especially a black man, to see that and to send an email that is, Deep in this kind of faux, luffy, dovey bogus bullshit, I think is, like, unco- I can't even wrap my head around that I think it's such a sh- thing to do.
1: Yeah, it's really insidious and manipulative.
0: So that's why I hate Russell Simmons. <laughs> Sidebar. <laughs> yeah, come back from my, yeah, we'll do a We'll. I mean, no one would listen to it but me, but I just, I've hated him for a long time, and I've always known something was up. You know how you just get spidey senses about people, or oh, you think, yeah. like, something about... Something in the buttermilk's not clean. I always sort of knew I got a weird sense from him, and this just really confirmed it. So back to Cruz. <laughs> little side note. So Cruz filed a sexual assault and battery lawsuit against both Bennett and WME. Cruz filed a police report on November 8th, and the LAPD launched an investigation. But unfortunately, the statute's limitations had passed. Bennett was actually suspended from WME. In order to pursue his lawsuit, Cruz had to submit to a mental evaluation, which apparently is not uncommon in legal cases where the victim is alleging some kind of emotional trauma or distress.
1: Huh. Mental evaluation. Okay. WME's side of the story is pretty victim-blaming. In court papers submitted to the Los Angeles Superior Court and obtained by The Hollywood Reporter, representatives for WME present the agency side of the story. They say that though Vennett called to apologize to Cruz after the incident, Cruz did not inform senior management of the allegations until he tweeted about it in October. They also point to the fact that Cruz stayed with the agency until November 2017, which Cruz has attributed to his initial desire to, quote, let it go and move on, a desire that changed after the Weinstein accusations went public.
0: So basically, it sounds like he didn't say anything initially when it happened. He saw all these women coming forward, wanted to also come forward as a show of solidarity for these women, and WME is trying to demonize him for that. Another really victim blaming thing that WME is doing they accuse Cruz of trying to, quote, equate himself with the women and men who have been forced, sometimes repeatedly and over an extended period to submit to sex or endure sexual harassment to keep their jobs or advance their careers, while the perpetrators and others who knew about it looked the other way. So let's break that down. Basically, what they're saying is that there's a, there's a litmus test for being sexually abused, and Cruz is, is, can you believe this jerk is trying to pretend like he had to go through real sexual harassment? Real sexual harassment is Harvey Weinstein— if you're not Harvey Weinstein, you can't actually sexually harass anybody. Basically, what they're saying is that what he went through wasn't that bad, and how dare he compare it to what these women went through.
1: I hate that.
0: It's, I mean, it's bogus. It's bullshit.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. Cruz dropped WME as his agency after coming forward with the allegation, but as part of the standard agency contract, Cruz is still required to pay WME a portion of his profits from any project he made while signed with them. Quote, what business is this that you can do something like that to another human being and I still have to pay you? He said, everyone feels like that's okay, but this is not right. There are no checks and balances. There is no one to watch you. And given what he did to me, imagine some young girl and an agent rapes them and they're on a show or whatever and they still got to pay this guy.
0: I mean, yeah, he makes a really interesting economic point, which is that You know, Cruz is a a big star. I'm sure he's got plenty of money. But if, if you were an actress who didn't have his fame or his platform and you were just starting out and you, I mean, trust me, I'm trying to go through this process myself. If getting signed to a talent agency, especially one as big as WME, is a big deal. So if you are just starting out and you just got signed to a huge talent agency, you probably are thinking, oh, things are about to happen for me a little bit. I'm sort of leveling up in my career but you might still not have a ton of money. And so if you had to pay out to that same agent who raped you, harassed you, groped you, whatever, you probably, I mean, it really just financially de-incentivizes coming forward because if you don't have a ton of money because you're not yet booking big gigs or whatever, you might think, well, I'm going to have to pay this person regardless. If I get signed to another agency, which is not guaranteed, I'll then have to be paying an agent double? That's, I mean, it's just completely the economic reasoning there completely, I mean, it, it just changes the game. Actually, what, something else that I respect about Cruz is that he goes on to say that he thinks that these contracts should have clauses in them where if you do something like that, the the contract is, is null, that you don't have to pay if someone does something awful to you, which, of course, it should. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That kind of reminds me of, um, like, when I hear songs that I know, uh, like, Kesha and that dude.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> and, Girl, don't even get me started. Uh, yeah. Once I was at a, a bar, and I was very drunk, and this guy was hitting on me, and Kesha started playing, and he, this guy had been, like, I mean, I probably should have told him to buzz off, but he was had been, like, hitting on me all night. And I went on this long tangent, <laughs> I was like, you just don't understand how much Kesha has been through. People don't talk about Kesha. Like, I was on my... I, I thought I was, like, recording the show. And I, then he left, and my friend, who had been like happily being hit on by his buddy all night, was like, oh, what happened with your friend and my friend? And he said, she just wouldn't shut up about Kesha. (laughs) It's Like, I will never shut up about Kesha. (laughs) You can't stop me.
1: (laughs) Um, It does kind of point to a problem in our society as a whole because it is kind of a different world when you're talking about talent agents and stuff, but it also is expensive just if you experience kind of domestic abuse or sexual abuse, getting a lawyer, going to court, doing all that stuff, and it's... It does de-incentivize reporting, and we should re-examine that because it should not be the case.
0: I mean, there have been situations where people have been forced to pay for their own rape kits. Yeah. I mean, what is that? Yes, like the economic realities of being the victim of abuse, we don't talk about, and we should. And somebody who is talking about it is Terry Cruz. Basically, the Senate Judiciary Committee was holding a hearing on the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights, which could codify certain rights for people reporting sexual assault. As Cruz noted in his testimony, the bill would give survivors more access to police reports, rape kit results, and sexual assault counselors. It would also ensure that survivors have access to government-subsidized rape kits and that rape kits, along with other forensic evidence, would be kept for the duration of the statute of limitations. Because right now, it's so janky and so messed up that people are paying for their own rape kits. Sometimes they're thrown out while you're still going through this case. You know, we do not have a system in this country where— People who are survivors of sexual violence are able to expect what I think are very basic protections. You know, very, very basic. Very, very basic.
1: Yes. Um, And Cruz's testimony is part confession about his own experiences with toxic masculinity and his own sexual harassment. And this has had an impact on Cruz's work. In his testimony, Cruz shared that he had chosen to leave the Expendables franchise to take a stand, in his words, in the wake of his lawsuit against Bennett. Quote, the producer of that film called my manager and asked him to drop my case in order for me to be in the fourth installment of the movie. And if I didn't, there would be trouble. And he he noted that he chose to leave the production largely because producer A.V. Lerner has been protecting Bennett. The actor went on to share other ways his account has already been minimized and reiterated that sexual abuse is neither laughable nor uncommon.
0: Yeah, I would, if you have not, I would really listen to the full testimony that he gives because it's so moving. But here's a clip.
2: This past year, we have seen powerful men in Hollywood and elsewhere finally held accountable for sexual harassment and assault. We also saw the backlash survivors faced after coming forward. I wanted these survivors to know that I believed them. I supported them and that this happened to me too. This encouraged me to come forward with my own experience and reflect on the cult of toxic masculinity that exists in our society.
0: Yeah, I think that his words are so so powerful and I think that I'm just I'm just so grateful that he is taking a stand and I think what he's doing is so important and it's not easy he's taken a lot of hits probably financial hits for doing this but I'm so grateful that he's using his platform as privilege to to speak up
1: yeah and we have a little bit more to talk about with Terry Crews but we're gonna pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor
0: And Rebecca, thank you, sponsor. There are so many reasons why I think it's so important that Terry Crews is coming forward. So I wanted to just talk through some of the bigger ones, but really this could be its own podcast of toxic masculinity and male understanding of you know sexual assault and being the victims of crimes. Like this could be its own thing, but I wanted to talk through some of the examples of why I think it's so important. So one, the elephant in the room is that Terry Crews is this big muscular guy. I honestly think that having someone who is so viscerally a big, strong dude, talk about being the victim of a sex crime, is just massively powerful. Hannah Gio just points this out over at The Atlantic. Quote, It is difficult to overstate the visceral impact and rarity of seeing a black man, one as statuesque and imposing as Cruz, step forward to identify himself as a survivor of sexual assault and reject external demands that he bury his shame. Cruz has spoken at length about the tenacity of shame, the way it embeds itself deeply into the survivor's psyches with each dismissal of their accounts. He has acknowledged that his race and size render his story unbelievable to some, that those same factors kept him from responding to this alleged assailant with violence for fear of being stereotyped as a thug or facing violence at the hands of police. And I think that quote really unpacks it, that first of all, that someone so big and strong and muscular and beefy A lot of people might not even think that he can be the victim of sexual abuse, right? Because he's a big, strong guy. And that really plays into that John Wayne theory that the psychiatrist was talking about that we talked about in the top of the episode, you know? That this idea that if you are perceived as someone big and strong and powerful, nothing can happen to you. So if something does happen to you, because we know it can, because it can happen to anybody, you better be quiet about it.
1: Yeah, because then... It, it's like a threat to your masculinity, how people perceive you. Exactly. Are you really a man?
0: Exactly. And then because Cruz is a black man, the added trauma of that initial feeling of wanting to respond with violence, or even if he responded just by screaming, knowing that because of your race, that could be deadly for him. For me, this is so powerful because I've often said, I feel like in this culture, if somebody cat calls you or grabs your ass, it's a cool thing to do to be like, oh then I punched him or then I socked him. You know, I remember I remember somebody tweeting something along the lines of like, I don't think I could ever be the victim of sexual violence or rape, because I think I give off the attitude that if you do something wrong to me, I'll slug you. And I thought, well, well no, I mean, it's all well and good to think that, that if somebody grabbed your ass or groped you or cat called you, that you'd have the perfect response or that you'd punch him in the face. But that's not how it works. And I think that really does create this narrative that it, quote-unquote, doesn't happen to strong people. Like, for for so long, I thought that because I am a survivor of sexual violence, that it meant I wasn't a strong person, that I wasn't a strong woman. And if being the victim of sexual violence impacted you, if you needed therapy, if it was hard for you to get over it, that that meant you weren't really a strong woman. And hell, I mean— Emily May, who is the founder of an organization called Back, which is an anti-catcalling organization, in an interview, she talks about how she thought that, and of course, catcalling is different than, like, sexual abuse, but when she would be bothered by catcalling, that she would be catcalled all the time and it would get to her, initially she thought, I'm not a strong woman, because a strong woman would not be bothered by this, and they would be able to just go about their day, and it wouldn't get them down. And so she had internalized that, She was not strong because this unacceptable behavior was happening to her. And I think that the way that we talk about who can and cannot become the victim of sexual violence is really, really problematic.
1: Yeah, I agree, too. And Cruz has been talking about kind of this whole toxic masculinity and manhood thing for a while. Um, His 2014 book, Manhood, How to Be a Better Man or Just Live With One, is an attack on toxic masculinity, it was then that Cruz declared himself a feminist on Larry King Now. It was also the era in which he began speaking publicly about his porn addiction, his stint in rehab to treat it, and his changing relationship to the ideas of manliness. He has also spoken up about um, how his time as an NFL player has warped his attitudes on what it means to be a man. So seeing a man publicly wrestle with these with these topics um, is, is a really good, Beneficial thing for us to see, I think, um, and it's good for men to see an example of another man dealing with these things.
0: Definitely, especially a man that is successful, confident, powerful. You know, it's we have so many prominent examples of men not dealing with their sh- and it's sort of seen as cool. You know, has a problem and refuses to get help with it. You know, yeah. what, a, what a renegade! Yeah, and I think what's re- what is really cool is reshaping the culture where it says no talking about your pain talking about things that have happened to you talking about uncomfortable systems that you yourself have been complicit in like we should rebrand that as cool you know johnny depp being a f- abuser and refusing to get any kind of help for it and still like making millions of dollars in movies that's not cool what's cool is someone talking about what's going on in their lives and and doing it frankly and helping to lead others especially men
1: Mm-hmm. And um, Cruz had something to say about that, leading other men for time, and we wanted to play, play a clip for you here.
2: As a man, I was taught my entire life that I must control the world. So I use power, influence, and control to dominate every situation, from the football field to the film set, even in my own home, with my wife and children. Then, in 2016, while at a party with my wife, I was sexually assaulted by a successful Hollywood agent. The assault lasted only minutes. But what he was effectively telling me while he held my genitals in his hand was that he held the power, that he was in control this is how toxic masculinity permeates culture as i shared my story i was told over and over that this was not abuse that this was just a joke that this was just horseplay but i can say that one man's horseplay is another man's humiliation
0: unfortunately not everybody out there is championing Cruz as much as we are, Cruz has been very vocal about the fact that many people have told him to laugh it off or shake it off or ignore what happened to him at this party. And, you know, that I just find that to be so upsetting. 50 Cent posted a really bizarre Instagram post making fun of Cruz before calling it a joke and deleting it. It was a bizarre meme that featured Cruz shirtless with the words, I got raped, my wife just watched, superimposed onto the image as well as another picture of Cruz with a rose in his mouth with the words, "Gym Time, inexplicably in the corner of the post. So I, I saw these and I thought, what? It didn't make any sense, but I understood them as insulting to Cruz. The photos also included a strange tone-deaf caption in which 50 Cent suggested that he would have responded to a similar situation with gun violence rather than the trepidation that Cruz recounted. He posted, I emojis, LOL. What the f*** is going on here, man? Terry, I froze in fear. Laughing emoji. They would have had to take me to jail. Get the strap. And so, yeah, what he's saying in that comment is, if this had happened to me, I would have shot this guy and I'd be in jail right now. LOL. Oh, and um, guess who happened to uh, see this post and had something to say about it? Can you guess? I, I think I might have a guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is this another Russell Simmons sidebar? It is another Russell Simmons sidebar because <laughs> Russell Simmons, He saw this post and added a laughing face emoji. Now, as awful as that is, part of me also thinks, how stupid are you, Russell Simmons? You have lots of women who are publicly accusing you of rape right now. You see a meme on Instagram about someone who is also publicly accusing someone of sexual harassment, and you engage with the post in public? Are you you stupid? Perhaps. I mean, he needs better PR people, but but when I saw that, I thought, you know, how stupid are you? It's just such a bad look. I mean, everyone knows that sexual abusers stick together, they protect each other. We have what seems to be documented evidence of Russell Simmons doing just that. And so when 50 Cent, another prominent black professional male makes fun of Terry Crews for being the victim of sexual harassment, you laugh at it publicly. It just, it boggles the mind.
1: It does indeed boggle the mind, Bridget.
0: <laughs> In response to this Instagram post, Cruz tweeted, why did I just let it happen? I didn't. Why did not you beat him up? Sigh. And again, it just really shows why men wouldn't want to come forward, why they wouldn't want to report, why they would feel they need to stay silent because of people like 50 Cent who are going to use their platform, their huge platform to make fun of somebody. And even if it was a joke, it's not funny.
1: No, it's not funny. And also just, uh, yeah, I really don't understand the impulse there. I don't know why you, if someone came forward with a sexual assault thing unrelated to you, you would feel the need to, like, get involved at all, but especially in a negative way, like making fun of the person who came forward. I think that that was very foolish indeed.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And also foolish of Russell Simmons to leave that emoji. Yes. Again, you always have the option to say nothing. Saying it's a nothing, great option. It's a great <laughs> option. We all, could all probably use a little bit more of it. Uh, Georges put it really well at The Atlantic. She writes, 50 Cent and the others who mocked Cruz communicated their allegiance to an idealized masculinity that they imagined to be impervious to assault. Jackson and the many others who mocked Cruz communicated their allegiance to an idealized masculinity that they imagined to be impervious to assault. Jackson has since insisted that his post was a joke. But even so, its purported humor would only stem from the surprise of a strong man's victimhood. Cruz, imparting his experience of assault, placed him squarely outside the moving goalpost, rendering him weak and emasculated in the eyes of people, most often men, who refused to untether masculinity from displays of Herculean strength or aggression. For his part, Cruz responded first with love for 50 Cent's music, then saying he proved that, quote, size doesn't matter when it comes to sexual assault. So basically, What Hannah is saying there is that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a big, strong guy. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, huge, tough, muscular, whatever. This can happen to anybody. And people like 50 Cent, and I'm going to throw them in there, Russell Simmons, are creating a culture that says otherwise. It's creating a culture that says only this type of person can be a victim. And we know that's not true.
1: Yes. um, Anyone anyone can be a victim. And, um, I think it's important to remember with stories like this that Me Too includes so many more than just cis women. It isn't just about them. Um, anyone can be a victim of sex crime, and it's important that we hear those stories and lift up those voices. Hear, f***ing hear. So that's, that's what we have to say on Terry Cruz. Obviously, we're going to have to come back for Russell Simmons. <laughs>
0: My spinoff called I Hate You Russell Simmons Go (laughs) f*** yourself I just Ugh Even even just speaking about him Bothers me
1: (laughs) I can tell Yeah (laughs) Well In the meantime Before that That spinoff Comes out We have some Listener mail
0: The first one I'm going to start with Is a little bit Difficult for me I One is that I hate Reading letters That just seem like Compliments It's like Oh we picked the letter That's It's very complimentary. I swear that's not what this is. Um, But I was really impressed by this letter because I really identified with it. It's something that I admired it. I'll put it that way. Because this person wrote a letter sort of about their past opinion. And I'm someone who, you know, has lots of opinions and and I share them freely. But when I get them wrong, it would be very difficult for me to come back and be like, you know, I rethought that and I wasn't so on the money with that one. Or it'd be difficult for me to talk about my growth, you know, in an email to someone. So I was very impressed by this letter, personally. She writes, Hey, Bridget, I want to apologize to you for not being very open when you and Emily came on air. I hope I never said anything to hurt you, but I think I did say that I was unhappy with the show once in a Facebook Taylor Swift thread. I've been thinking about it since others told me I was wrong. And you know what? They were right. And for that, I'm so very sorry. I just finished listening to your episode on gaslighting. My ex-husband is a narcissist and really with me. I didn't realize how unwoke I was until I started to call my, quote, deconstruction in January when I started outpatient therapy and talk therapy. I see my therapist twice a week, and now she's helped me realize that what I believed before was wrong and to check the facts. Thank you for recommending Codependent Anonymous. My therapist has been encouraging me to find a support group, and I had no idea this existed. Most importantly, thank you for teaching me what what a real fighter looks like. You've been through a lot this year, and I'm so proud of you. Thank you for making me a more open-minded person. You're both doing great work. Please keep it up because you really are changing the world one listener at a time. So I have a lot to say about this. I'll keep it brief, but um thank you. You know, I when I got this email, I wrestled with it for quite a bit. Um I know that I'm feeling feeling feelings about an email when I put it on boomerang, so it goes to the top of my inbox. I'm like, oh god, there it is again. But yeah, what I what I connected with, I think, about this was that I would never have the courage to send this in an email. Ever. You know what I mean? I would never I would think like, oh, I I still think about things I wrote I wrote on people's, you know, reviews years later and I think, oh, I wish I like I was having a bad day, and so I took it out on somebody online or something, you know? And I would never think to to revisit it. And so I just I was really impressed by this email. And I didn't just read it because it's very complimentary to us. But
1: it's very um touching, and it is brave, because facing facing things about yourself that you're trying to work to change, I mean, that's tough, and to reach out to someone and just apologize and admit that in that moment you were wrong, it is really brave, and we appreciate it, like, listeners hearing from you, even small little things like keep up the great work, you, you can't imagine how yeah. helpful it is! It really is definitely.
0: And I, I've I have had a weird a weird couple months. Like someone once sent me an email that was like, "Literally, girl, are you okay? You are tweeting some dark. Shit. Is everything fine?" Um, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta. I really should take a step back." Uh, since then, sort of gotten off social media a little bit. But um, also, I want to say to this email writer, she has nothing to really apologize for. You know, I appreciate criticisms as well. And so, you know, obviously, no apology necessary. But it just was—it just really touched me, you know. It's touching to hear from people, and I—I I think every day it's so easy to believe your critics and then shoo off your complimenters, and I—I I do that quite a bit. And so, yeah. you know, you could be having the worst day ever, and then somebody writes in and says, "Hey, thank you for this episode. It really helped me," and it, it does help. So I—I I thank you to this person who wrote in.
1: Yes, thank you. Um... To, to another topic important to our arts, pockets. <laughs> 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 Izzy wrote, I also am very frustrated with the lack of sufficient pockets in my clothes. For one pair of jeans, I really liked how they fit, but they had fake front pockets. With the help of my mom, I was able to rip the seams of where the fake pockets attached to the pants and put in my own quite large pockets. These are now my favorite pants. Every time I wear them, I am reminded that I was able to say F you to the fashion designers and make the pants actually fit my needs. I have been meaning to extend the size of the pockets in my other pants by cutting the bottom of the pocket open and adding more fabric because I am always sad when it comes time to wash my favorite jeans. I realize many folks don't have a sewing machine, but if you ask around, you can probably find someone willing to help. You don't need a ton of fabric, so if you don't already have scrap fabric, just go to a craft store and find the end of the bolt clearance bin and get the cheapest one. The pattern doesn't matter because it is inside your pants. Please go make your pockets big. Your life will be so much better.
0: Oh, I love this Johnny Appleseed of women's pants pockets. I do, too.
1: <laughs> New crafting project for me. Oh, yes, thank you to both of them for writing in. You, too, can write to us. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com.
0: And you can also find us on social media or on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You and on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast.
1: Thanks, as always, to our producer, Kathleen Quillian, and thanks to you for listening.